Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. This episode features a panel discussion on the recent unionization of Ripley's Aquarium workers in Toronto, and the lessons that can be drawn for workers everywhere who are struggling under pandemic conditions. Speakers are Danny Roberts, an aquarium worker and labor fightback activist who played an organizing role in the union drive, as well as Donovan Rich, a leading activist with Labor Fightback. Thank you very much for being here, everybody. Uh, my name is Danny, uh, and some of you know me as a fellow member of Fightback, and some of you know me as a coworker of yours. Uh, but if you haven't figured out yet, I'm actually both. Um, so I started working at the aquarium uh, almost seven years ago, only about four months after they first opened. So I've seen a lot what goes on in that place, and, and I can tell you about the experiences pretty well. Um, so when I started working there, it seemed like a great place to work. Uh, you get to look at the fish. There was a good community of workers there. And uh, it even seemed at the time that management uh, was trying to make their employees happy. Uh, they held great, some great events for us. They gave us free tickets, uh, discounts for can candy and food, that kind of stuff, little things. Uh, you know, they, they didn't pay the bills, but it was something. Uh, I had worked some pretty terrible jobs before. So, you know, this was pretty new to me. It, was, it, it felt like a gift. Um, getting anything outside of a paycheck was news to me. Uh, but, you know, it didn't take very long uh, until they showed their true colors. And it began with little things. Um, you'd hear about a termination that sounded pretty suspect, or you would hear about how managers were treating employees in another department. Um, what was really striking to me was, uh, was, in particular, was the favoritism when trying to move up in the company. Uh, people were, who were much more qualified for jobs were sidelined for people management like better. Uh, we all knew we were being underpaid, uh, and the same jobs at other attractions paid way more. And and really, the only difference between you know uh, my job and the job at uh, you know the science the same job at the science center or something was unionization. Um, but people just kind of took it. Uh, many people love you know that work there. They love working with the animals and just working in the aquarium in general. And and uh, they were willing to put up with it. Um, the more competitive jobs that happen at the aquarium that um, are available at the aquarium, like divers and such, uh, they could be easily replaced because they were so competitive. Uh, and, you know, it, it, people could leave if they didn't like it. Um, this, that was really HR's attitude, uh, HR's attitude a lot of the time uh, when you came to them compl with complaints. Uh, if they didn't like what you were saying, uh, they'd, put a t they'd just put a term termination letter on the table and uh, tell you that if you didn't like it, you could quit. And uh, this example, I think, paints a really good idea of the attitude that they held towards their workers. Uh, really, it was, it was their way or the highway. And Ripley's is run like so many businesses are like today. Uh, workers are well paid, understaffed, overworked, and, uh, they and uh, management just ignores that. They ignore if there are safety and security concerns, animal health concerns. Uh, just there's been so many ways uh, that they've really shown how ignorant they are about the worker situation in the aquarium in general. Um, they don't think about us or even what is, what is best for the aquarium. Uh, they only really want to do what they want to do. Um, another thing I'd really like to highlight in particular is their attitude towards security. Um, our security guards aren't allowed to get rid of people unless they're told they can by management. But the thing is, the thing is that uh, the thing management cares about after profits is their image. 
Uh, I can think of many times unruly or drunk guests were allowed to continue on in the aquarium after harassing workers. And honestly, it's really disgusting. Uh, I could go on about the individual grievances I have. And honestly, a lot of you probably heard them before, you know, uh, talking to me. But if I did that, then this could be like a 10 part series. Um, and I'd heard that there's been some attempts to fix the situation in the past. Um, plenty of complaints to management uh, fell on deaf ears. And it's not like workers didn't try to try to work with management over their problems, but they just didn't want to hear it. Uh, I'd also heard of some attempts to unionize before that had been stopped or had failed. Um, so most of my time at the aquarium uh, was kind of in this environment. Every day you'd come in and hear another story of some manager being mean or another of your friends being fired for a stupid reason or a decision the aquarium made that'll make you work that'll make your work harder. And as I worked, as I worked there, this attitude that the management had became more and more apparent. As conditions worse, worsened, even those little scraps, they, the little scraps that they gave us, you know, like, oh, here's some free candy or, you know, here's like a discount on food, these were taken away. Um, so yeah, this is, I hope this kind of paints a picture of really what the situation was like even before COVID. Um, and I think 2020 is really when we started to see some big changes in the aquarium. Um, the first thing, uh, this is even before COVID or anything like that, uh, the year started off with our bonuses that we usually get uh, being much lower than they usually were. And uh, people were pretty pissed off about that because um, it was it was pretty, pretty significant. Uh, but with how we're paid, everyone's just happy to just get any money at all. Um, and all of a sudden, coronavirus hit. And the, the pandemic started spreading across the world. And it was really the aquarium's poor handling of coronavirus initially that really set things into motion. Um, they blatantly ignored the worries of the workers. Uh, as everything was closing down, every other attraction uh, in Toronto closed except for us and St. Lawrence Market. Uh, the aquarium justified them staying open during the pandemic to their employees and to the public by saying that they had taken all the necessary precautions to stay open. Um, but what were these precautions? They installed more hand sanitizer stations. They gave housekeeping, which is my department, uh, a special gun that shot ozone water. Uh, we already had spray bottles that did the exact same thing. It was pretty useless. Uh, we cleaned a little bit extra. Uh, and they and, and they told not, workers not to talk about COVID. Uh, they even resisted the precautions that the government and experts were talking about. Uh, I remember I had a conversation with a coworker of mine before they closed, and she was upset that she had been told by management not to wear a mask or gloves so she wouldn't scare anybody. Uh, can you believe that? <laughs> uh, so workers were outraged. Uh, everyone saw what was going on in the, uh, in the world and, you know, workers were very aware of the precarious position we were in. Uh, Ripley's Aquarium is an international destination and this was before flight bans had really been, ta been taken into effect. And those who work there know, uh, you know, it's a, Ripley's is a hotbed for sickness at the best of times. It's pretty easy to get sick there. You know, if somebody gets sick, uh, a lot of the other staff are going to get sick as well. Uh, so under these kind, kinds of conditions, people were really mad. And, uh, you know, at this point, uh, there was even like a lot of talk about collectively walking out. Um, you know, uh, before they closed, it seemed all we could talk about was how ridiculous it was, we, uh, how ridiculous it was that we were open. Uh, and the public was outraged at their stubbornness to close too. Uh, the aquarium was uh, flooded with angry emails and calls from people who were concerned about the fact that we were still open. Uh, on their social media pages, uh, scores of people commented on their posts uh, questioning why they remained open. Uh, and we all had a really good laugh about it. It was really fun to, to see angry people yelling at management. Uh, and they actually started deleting their posts, which I never saw them do before. Uh, but there was some follow-up from this too. 
Uh, one of my coworkers was fired because her friends had commented on, on their posts on Twitter and management blamed her for it. Uh, she never told her friends to do so. Uh, they did of their own volition, but this didn't matter to them. Um, but eventually they had to close whether they liked it or not. And Ripley's hates to close above all. They hate being closed. They brag about how they're open 365 days of the year. And that means even on Christmas. Uh, and they, they really only close their doors in order to. The only other time that I can remember them closing is when giant pieces of ice were falling off the CN Tower. And they only closed because, uh, because the firefighters told them to. Um, so we went into first lockdown. And they paid us for the first few weeks uh, and people were laid off besides a skeleton crew that they kept to maintain the aquarium. Uh, but that anger and that outrage at, uh, you know, the refusal to close, it really, it, it remained. And uh, this is where we get to the beginning of the union drive. Uh, so I would say a few weeks after the aquarium closed, I got a call from one of my coworkers. And I'm not sure how he got my number, but he was looking for fellow coworkers who would be interested in organizing a union drive at the aquarium. And he had been told by another coworker that I would be somebody who would be interested in doing so. Uh, and I took this as a compliment. Uh, I've always talked, uh, you know, I always talked openly about Marxism, the flaws of capitalism and exploitation with people who, you know, with people when we would discuss workplace issues. Uh, I've always been a very open Marxist. Um, and uh, I'd been there so uh, for a while. So people kind of knew me. Uh, I knew what I had to say. And it was very humbling to hear that. And uh, I guess it pays off once in a while to be a Marxist. Uh, so I told him I was interested and he said he would let me know the next steps. Uh, and it was here that I kind of made a mistake on my part. Uh, I really should have consulted with the organization before the union drive at this point, because for Marxists, there are dangers in engaging in this kind of work. Um, but honestly, I was real, I was really pessimistic about the union drive. Um, I had seen, heard of them failing, uh, and organizing while the pandemic was, was going on. And as the aquarium was closed, I didn't see how we could even attempt it. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't think it could hurt to sign on. So I did. Um, so he invited me to an online meeting and I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but I was really surprised when I entered an online meeting with, uh, eight or so of my fellow coworkers. Uh, you know, this was it, to me, it seemed like this was going to be a lot bigger than I thought. So we started planning the work, discussing and discussing future steps. Uh, we started gathering information like uh, that we needed, like emails and phone numbers. Um, a lot of preparation work for the future. Uh, I was really still, I was still really pessimistic at this point. Uh, I, I still didn't see how it could, how we could organize this, uh, but I helped as much as I could. Uh, I, made, I made a lot of calls and emails to people. Um, you know, getting information off the company directory, all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of conversations with people. So this, you know, this kind of preparatory work uh, went on for a while longer until about uh, late July, if I remember correctly. And this is when we had content, content, contacted enough people that the organizers thought that we could start signing union cards. And it was at this point that I realized that this was going to be big uh, and it was becoming really serious. So uh, it was at this point that I got in touch with uh, Labor Fight Back and the leadership. So uh, as I was meeting with the Unifor organizers, I was also meeting with Labor Fight Back as well. Uh, we discussed what was going on week by week. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned about the different struggles that the IMT has been a part of, the dangers of engaging in this kind of work, all of kinds of really valuable stuff for a Marxist. Um, one of the, and I, I think that really, uh, one of the things that really helped the initial process of getting the union card signed was, was doing the work online. Um, a lot of people felt much more comfortable signing union cards online instead of in person. Uh, they didn't have to worry about their bosses watching over their shoulder, and it was a lot easier to talk to people about unionizing outside of work. Uh, the distributing of union cards coincided, coincided with the reopening of the aquarium, so we could reach people physically at work or online for people who hadn't been called back to work yet. 
Uh, and as the aquarium opened, you know, uh, as the aquarium opened again, they really didn't learn a thing and had no intention of changing their ways. Uh, if anything, they were trying to figure out how to squeeze every penny to make up for the profits lost during the closure. Uh, one of the most outrageous things they did was give us a pay cut. Um, wage workers were put down to minimum wage and full-time wor workers got a pay cut as well. And I've talked to workers who said that not, not only were they not told, uh, so that they were only told about the pay cut after they accepted the job. And if they said that they didn't want to accept the pay cut, uh, well, now they couldn't go back on curb uh, because they refused to work. Uh, they attempted, and, and the, the management attempted to justify uh, this pay cut by telling people that the owner, uh, Jim Pattison, uh, who's a billionaire, by the way, uh, he, that he took a pay cut as well. Well, you know, I, I, my thinking is that he's going to be okay. Uh, my coworkers, on the other hand, have to scrape by to survive. You know, they may not be okay. Uh, but luckily, the pay cut was eventually reversed. But still, it's, it, it, was, it, was, it, was disres it was disrespectful, if anything else. Um, at the same time, uh, other were, you know, some workers came back, but other workers were terminated. Um, from the time they opened till the until they closed again in December, there were three waves of layoffs, which left people without a job, um, a job that many people still loved. And uh, this actually inadvertently frustrated the union drive a little bit. With the list of employees constantly changing, we had to continuously update our own list and reevaluate. Um, the way, so yeah, the way they handled workers coming back to work was also really poor. Um, I, I can speak personally here. Uh, as of now, I've been called back about five or six times. Uh, I've always been promised a job. And a couple days later, I would get told either they don't have the money to hire me back or some other excuse. And at the same time, they have other workers uh, who they like more uh, from other departments who are doing my job. And I'm still very frustrated at how they've handled my employ employment personally. Um, and, and the dancing around COVID restrictions. Um, if you've been there, Ripley's Aquarium is an enclosed space. It gets very crowded, especially in the summer and our other busiest times. And it really is a place where something like COVID could spread easily. Uh, they skirted around capacity limits by selling tickets, which would allow multiple people inside on one ticket. Uh, my coworkers sent me pictures of how packed it was in there. Uh, it was certainly not something that anybody uh, that they would want the public to see. Uh, and they wouldn't let people, they would let people in early in the morning so the media or other people could see how their not socially distanced lineup wasn't socially distanced. Uh, one of the most ridiculous things was that they forced workers to enforce mask wearing. Uh, this led to many instances of workers being harassed by people who didn't want to wear a mask. Um, and all these measures predictably, predictably led, led to COVID cases at the aquarium. Uh, there are two workers that I know of who tested positive for COVID and the aquarium was scared of it getting, getting out that they had positive cases. Uh, they told people not to discuss it and they tried not to have anything in writing that admitted it, but eventually it was found out and they had to act. Uh, they bought and they botched this as well. Uh, they only cleaned the immediate area of work that the employee worked and they told people to get tested, but they made them go back to work before they even got their tests back. Uh, but the, the reopening and the half measures or, or non-measures uh, that were put in place had another effect as well. It was impossible to deny the situation that the aquarium was putting workers in. And, the, and people were much more willing to have, discuss, have discussions about unionizing after seeing for themselves the true nature of this company. Uh, the aquarium's poor handling of COVID really did so much for the work for us. Uh, there, are people who, there, there are people who agreed uh, with unionization if only to stick it to the bosses. Uh, so the union drive was picking up speed and we were reaching our goals. We had union cards coming in. We had to keep up with their employment changes, but we could see that people were listening and they liked what we had to say. Uh, and then the second closure began in December. Uh, as you all know, cases increased and we were hit by another lockdown. 
so the aquarium closed with the, and with this newest closure came another round of layoffs. And it was at this time the union organizers felt that we should put in our application to unionize. And we were all pretty ecstatic. Everybody on the, the union drive committee was ecstatic about it. Uh, long month, month, long months of work had paid off and a lot faster than we had thought. So the application was put in just before Christmas. Uh, when the aquarium was informed about the application, they were really blindsided by it. Uh, we were always worried that they were going to catch on and try to bust the union drive, but they really had no clue. Uh, quickly, they put together an anti-union campaign and they sent out emails that were really just ridiculous uh, anti-union propaganda. The horrors of having to pay 400 to $600 a year in union dues, or that the union didn't understand the special relationship we have with the animals. They lamented at losing the relationship management has with their employees. But this was, this was part of the point of the drive. Your relationship with your employees is abusive and they want it out. Uh, but we were confident. We had a large group of people that we knew would go out and vote yes. And it was on the, on the, on the aquarium to counter it. And for them, it was a little too, too little too late. And so the vote was on January 6th to January 7th. And I'm thrilled to say that with 70% support, workers at Ripley's Aquarium of Canada voted to unionize. Uh, we did it, guys. Uh, we were able to stick it to management and really at a time when we didn't think we could. Uh, you know, it's still very new and we're all still feeling pretty celebratory, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, now that we are certified, we are hoping to have a general meeting uh, and talk about bargaining. We have, have to elect a bargaining committee, so there's still a lot of work to be done. And I look forward to engaging in our membership about the demands we want to put forward and hopefully push ahead democratically with an engaged union and face off against the bosses and whatever challenges they may bring, while avoiding the pitfalls of opportunism and reformism. Uh, if you're going to take anything away from what I said today, take this. When workers organize, we can beat the bosses. We can say no to sacrificing us for profits. You can see this for yourself. The aquarium is only one place that has recently voted to unionize. There's been a lot of workplaces that have unionized lately. And a lot of this has been done by younger workers and workers in the hospitality industry. These layers of the working class can be reached and they can be organized. The organized working class is the strongest force there is in the world. And we have a world to win. Thank you for listening to me, everybody. Thank you so much, Danny. And if you're not seeing it, lots of applause for you, really. And, and a huge applause to all the courageous workers at the aquarium for, for daring to stand up and fight back and to unionize. You know, it's, there really has been, an, uh, you know, never a better time to do so. It's literally our lives that are at stake. And you're right, young workers, and uh, especially in the service industry, there's been a lot of momentum me being thinking of the heroic, you know, 12 week strike of the Dominion workers. And we know that the pandemic has exposed deep seated inequalities in our society. And it's interesting that some of our most essential workers are our lowest paid. So, um, and that's something that desperately needs to change. Uh, so I'm very excited to in just to uh, do a refresher. Our next speaker will be Donovan Rich and he is a lead organizer with Labor Fight Back. Thanks, Jenny. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, Danny's, uh, you know, presentation was uh, obviously celebratory uh, in nature. Uh, my presentation, on the other hand, is, is going to have to start off on a, a more somber note. Um, and, and I do actually want to open with a moment of silence uh, for the brother that recently passed away at the Canada Post Gateway Processing Plant in Mississauga as well as the countless many more workers across this country and, and really across the world whose lives have been sacrificed on the altar of profit uh, throughout this pandemic so far. So please 
join me in a moment of silence. As of the most recent count, there are now 224 positive COVID-19 cases that have been registered at the Mississauga plant in less than a month. Those of us at Labor Fight Back recently conducted an anonymous interview with a postal worker at that plant. And so, you know, I'll encourage you to go check that out on our website at marxist.ca. As you'll be able to see from the content of the interview, uh, what happened there was entirely preventable. And thus the death of that worker should go down on the record of Canada Post Management as an act of social murder. And sadly, this is no exception as this is what has been happening at public and private workplaces all across the country from the very beginning of this pandemic. During the first wave, uh, we in Labour Fight Back organized a uh, name and shame the bosses campaign uh, which gave workers the chance to anonymously submit their stories and, and have them shared publicly. Workers from all across the country participated in this campaign, telling of the horrors of being forced to work in cramped workspaces, to not being provided with adequate personal protective equipment, with proper wash and sanitization stations, to being threatened and disciplined for speaking out against their situations, and, and so on. Since then, most employers have nominally accepted and adopted social distancing measures in their workplaces, but really mainly only as a face-saving measure. Danny outlined exactly how this took place at Ripley's, and it was a wonder really that, you know, there wasn't an outbreak there. Uh, you know, Danny mentioned two cases, but, you know, who knows really, right? Contact tracing has uh, also really been a joke with most levels of government failing to take the proper lead and make the proper investments, allowing employers off the hook in the process. I remember at uh, my former workplace, the uh, Toronto Transit Commission, for example, that one week early in the pandemic, one of our supervisors was uh, walking around uh, our workplace with a clipboard in hand. So, so I knew this guy, I walked up to him and I said, well, uh, what, what are you doing there, Bob? Um, and he was like, well, uh, yeah, the, uh, they've asked me to uh, go around and record everybody's movements in the car house and, uh, and, and, and note it down. And this is a big workplace. This is like a sprawling complex with like over 100 people on, on the day shift, which was the shift I was on at the time. And so I looked at him, I smiled and I said, well, good luck with that. And, and I, hope, I hope to see you next week. Of course, uh, next week rolls around, you, you, the clipboard's gone. You don't see them anywhere. They, they literally gave up on it after one week of trying. Um, so, you know, there you go. And actually another interesting point is that when I was working at the TTC, I literally couldn't even tell you that story or else I'd potentially face discipline and, and getting fired. Um, so there, there, there's another aspect of it. The main thing, really preventing us from stopping the second wave right now is that the bosses in the so-called essential industries continue to try to power through the pandemic with no slowdown in production whatsoever. 
at whatever cost to workers' health and safety. And this is because the capitalist system requires it. Maximum profit-seeking behavior is really built into the very foundations of the system. Normally, it is, it is expressed in the uh, drive to keep wages at the lowest possible level to allow workers to barely afford the essentials and continue to come back into work each day without dying. Uh, we saw this, for example, with the wage cut imposed at the aquarium, uh, but also with the ruthless take back of the $2 pandemic pay bump for grocery store and other uh, frontline workers during the first wave. For the capitalists, there is absolutely no question of shutting down. They need and will maintain existing levels of production and profitability in the middle of the pandemic, no matter how many workers' lives have to be sacrificed in the process. This is what we mean when we talk about social murder. The Ford government has clearly shown it is on the side of businesses by designating the bulk of the economy as essential, including condo construction, retail sales at big box stores, manufacturing of automobiles, and the list goes on. For months, the provincial government uh, hid the names of sites where outbreaks had taken place and the mainstream media has really been complicit too in generally failing to report outbreaks. On the face of it, it, it sort of seems like a conspiracy uh, or a conspiracy theory. Uh, I know these things have uh, bad names these days for good reason, but, but really it's, it's none of, nothing of the sort. Uh, it, it's really just the normal workings of the capitalist system we're talking about here. The media bosses alongside the you know, pro-corporate uh, government effectively work together to cover up the repeated acts of social murder committed by these corporations, by the wealthy owners, for example, of for-profit long-term care homes, where obviously it's been the worst, and, and but then so many other businesses really, everywhere else. So it is clear that we cannot trust big business and government to stop the second wave, nor the pandemic in general. Who then can we trust? As workers, thankfully, we do have unions. Even those of us that are not in unions, and that is really the majority of the working class in Ontario at this time, we still stand to benefit from a real lead being given by the unions in the fight against the pandemic. Unions like the Canadian Union of Postal Workers, or CUPW, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, or QP, Unifor, the largest private sector union in the country, the union which organized the Ripley's workers here today. And, and, and most importantly, the regional, provincial and federal labor councils and federations, such as the Toronto York Region Labor Council and the Ontario Federation of Labor. These unions have hundreds of thousands of members, if not millions of members in the case of the OFL, and they have many millions more dollars in affiliation dues, uh, which they can all mobilize. These larger unions should have run mass campaigns from the beginning of the pandemic, calling for mass testing, provision of PPE, contact tracing, and for a real shutdown of the economy with paid leave at living wages provided for all workers affected, regardless of unionized or non-unionized status. 
they should have backed these demands up with mass organizing drives of non-unionized workers, creating a hundred more Ripley's Aquarium union drive uh, drives in the process. And more importantly, they should have begun to educate and mobilize their own existing memberships, preparing workers to initiate an escalating series of work refusals to shut down any workplace in which positive COVID-19 cases were registered. Instead of all this, the leaders of most major unions have been curiously silent throughout the duration of the pandemic. The case of the recent outbreak at the Canada Post Mississauga plant provides a case in point. While the CUPW leadership did apparently intervene to ensure that quarantined workers would receive full pay to stay home, they failed to demand from the very beginning that mass testing, social distancing, and proper contact tracing was implemented in a really meaningful way. Moreover, once the outbreak started, they failed to demand that the entire facility be shut down. And in the end, it was the Peel Regional Health Authority that issued the order to shut down and quarantine only a single shift where the outbreak was presumably at its worst. The leadership failed to educate and empower the workers to take independent action to walk out on their own through the issuing of work refusals. And the result is that inaction has prevailed thus far, although it's you know far from over. Despite the mix of sadness and anger that I'm sure many of these workers are feeling today, over the loss of their brother. Most recently, the OFL has come out with a campaign for paid sick days in the province. While this is an encouraging step, paid sick days alone are no solution to the crisis. How does the OFL propose that workers achieve this demand? Well, it's really, uh, it's kind of unclear at this point, but the strategy appears to consist of something they call phone zaps which basically consists of a group of workers all calling in to their elected political representatives in parliament at the same time to make sure their voices are heard. It's, it's a nice sentiment, but up against the government, which has already repealed the measly two sick days that the previous Win Liberal government implemented a few years ago, and which continues to be opposed to the demand today, these you know so-called persuasion tactics don't really seem to stand much of a chance. So far, I've uh, you know I've painted a bit of a dismal portrait, but I want to say that there is hope amidst the despair. The Aquarium Union is uh, just one such ray of hope, but there was also the example of the walkout at the Thorncliff Park Public School back in December. After an outbreak there involving 26 cases and an attempt by the government to downplay the severity of it, three teachers decided enough was enough and issued a work refusal, which their union backed up and which eventually led to the school being shut down. This was repeated more recently in Britain on a larger scale, where despite the government's plans to keep schools open, a work refusal organized by the National Education Union around which perhaps the largest online meeting in history was organized with 400,000 people tuning in. This forced the government to abruptly change course and shut down classrooms. So what is the lesson here? Mass mobilization works. Leadership is of course crucial, 
but sometimes just the example of a few rank and file workers willing to stick their necks out can be sufficient to create a stir in the current environment and get a real response. And the bigger picture, however, I think the last 11 months has made it clear that we're not just living through a COVID-19 crisis, but a crisis of the entire capitalist system, which is now proven more clearly than ever that it cannot serve the needs of the population. Capitalism's profit motive lies at the heart of the problem. And there is no such thing as goodwill when it comes to it. If capitalist corporations are going to produce anything that is needed to overcome the pandemic, whether it's life-saving vaccines, PPE, sanitizer, or whatever, they expect to be paid for it and to be paid handsomely. Pfizer, Moderna, and the other big pharmaceutical corporations have, benefit, have profited enormously from the pandemic as has Galen Weston's Loblaws and Jeff Bezos' ad Amazon empires, to name just a few. Bezos in particular saw his personal wealth increase from $74 billion to $189 billion just last year. So-called struggling companies like Leon's, the furniture store, received $30 million through the federal government's emergency wage subsidy program. They went ahead and laid off 70% of their workforce anyway, and then proceeded to hand out $74 million in share buybacks to their wealthy benefactors. Clearly a reward for a hatchet job well done. The only solution to this problem in the long run is to eliminate the profit motive and to eliminate capitalism. How we get there is through the nationalization without compensation of the pandemic profiteers and ultimately of the entire commanding heights of the capitalist economy. Reorganized around a socialist planned economy under democratic workers control, this system could afford to shut the economy down for as long as it took to pay people living wages to stay home to mass manufacture and distribute an effective vaccine much more efficiently, rapidly, and safely, and to ensure that the word pandemic is something that never has to enter into our lexicon again throughout the rest of human history. Socialist ideas have a rich history in the Canadian labor movement. Socialists were at the forefront of many of the most important class struggles going back over 100 years, including the Winnipeg General Strike, in 1919, the Oshawa General Motors and Ford Windsor strikes in 1937 and 1945, and the Quebec Common Front strike in 1972. Well, un well, the influence of these ideas dwindled through the difficult decades of the 1980s and the 1990s, those of us in labor fight back are attempting to revive them today through our work and the various unions in which we are active. While we fight alongside the workers for every partial reform that can be won under capitalism, including the need for more democracy and militancy in our unions, we also argue that if any of these gains are to be kept, we must simultaneously also fight for socialism. And if you only take one lesson from this discussion tonight, make sure it is precisely this. If you want to join the fight against COVID-19 cuts and mismanagement, and do a good job of it, you should also join the fight against capitalism. Join the fight for socialism 
and join us in Labor Fight Back. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.